Guys, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12, Uh, Romans chapter 12. Now, if you're not sure where to find Romans, I'm going to put a graphic on the screen uh, behind me that gives you some basic instructions on how to find it. So if you want to grab one of the pew Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, or you want to pull up the Bible app, please feel free to follow the directions. We'll leave this up on the screen for a few minutes. Uh, so that you can navigate the Bible and find Romans. Uh, let's be honest, there are 66 books in this thing we call a Bible, this library that God has given us. And sometimes it's hard to find which book you're supposed to be in. So there's no shame, there's no uh, guilt in, in looking and finding directions on how to find Romans this morning. Now we're starting a new series. We, we kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit introduced it last week when Todd Miller was with us, uh, one of our uh, international missionaries. Um, he spoke on prayer a little bit and how prayer is such a vital part of what he does uh, in reaching people with the gospel of Christ overseas. Uh, but today we're going to dive in wholeheartedly into this new series called Transformed. And the whole point of this is to do a biblical study on what the Bible says about worship and about prayer. Uh, and give some practical ways to uh, live in worship and prayer the way the Bible calls us to. Uh, so our primary passage through this entire series is going to be Romans 12, 1 through 2, the passage we're on today. So I wanted to begin the series by just walking through this, this passage, these, one, these two verses found in Romans. Now, before we dive into Romans 12, let me give you what Paul has been saying before that. Because if you look at Romans 12, the first phrase that he uses is this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, he says, therefore. Which means that he has already said something that's pretty important. And now in Romans 12, he's kind of bringing what he has just said. And he's bringing some kind of conclusion or wrapping thoughts. Or maybe he's unpacking a little more what he's already spoken about. The idea is is that you can't understand Romans 12 unless you understand what he said previous to Romans 12. If you opened a novel midway through and just started reading, you might miss things, right? Because you've missed what was in the the first part. When the Bible says words like, because of, or therefore, or I say this as a result of, something like that. When the Bible says that, that means that the author is pointing back to what he's already said, so we can't ignore that. So let me give you just a quick synopsis of of what he has said. Through Romans, Paul has been talking about what sin is, what its origins are, and what Jesus came to do, how we need a Savior, and how God's plan of salvation, of rescuing us from sin, is working itself out. So that's what he's been doing through the book of Romans. And in chapters 9 through 11 right before verse tw- or chapter 12, he talks about how the Gentiles have been brought into God's salvation. That, that salvation is not just for the Israelite alone. That all people now have access to being forgiven from their sins through God. It's no longer just for the Jewish person 
It's no longer for the, just for the person who can go to Jerusalem to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Now, forgiveness of sins is offered to everybody. And so he's beginning to unpack this idea about how the Gentiles, every person, is now has access to Jesus and the salvation that he brings. He, ta- he tells us this, that the reason that God is now opening salvation to everyone is for God's glory. Look at me at the last verse of chapter 11. So it's 11 verse 36. Right before he's diving into chapter 12, he says this, For from him, meaning God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, stop for just a second. What has Paul, Paul's the guy who wrote the book of Romans. What has Paul just said in that one verse? He has basically said that everything has come from God. It has all come through God. And every good thing goes back to God. For what reason? For his glory. Now, what does that mean, glory? We don't use the word glory all that often in everyday speech. Glory is basically the honor and the worship that God rightly deserves. So, so because God is the origin of everything good in this life, because God is the bringer of our, the rescue, forgiveness from sins, because everything good flows from God, everything that we have should come back to Him. Everything should be for His glory. Amen. That's how he concludes. Now let's look at, ver- at chapter 12. Keep in mind, Paul has been describing sin. He has shown that Jesus provides rescue or salvation from sin. He has now said that all people have access to forgiveness from sin. And he concludes that idea by saying that everything in life is about the glory, the worship of God. You with me so far? With that in mind, let's look at 12 verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, meaning what, we've ju- what he has just said, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So God appeals to us by the mercies of God. Now, again, think back to the rest of the book of Romans and everything he has said up to this point in Romans that I, I, I kind of gave you a summary on. Paul has basically been saying, we're all sinners. And that sin in our life has condemned us, eternally condemned us. But God, through Jesus, through his son, provided a way to be forgiven of sin. And in that forgiveness, if we believe in Jesus and commit our lives to him, 
then we can be saved from that condemnation, that eternal condemnation. So when, when Paul says he's appealing to us by the mercies of God, that's literally what he's saying. God's mercy to you and I should be motivation for everything in our life. If someone, if you're crossing the street and a bus is coming towards you, and you're about to get hit by a bus going 45 miles per hour, and somebody jumps in the way and throws you to safety and takes that collision themselves and dies. Do you feel like you would owe a great debt to that person? Do you feel like you would honor that person? Do you feel like you would want to know more about that person? Yeah. That person has sacrificed their own life to give you life. By mercy, you've been given another chance. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. We owe God everything. He's given us everything. Because it's only through Jesus that we can have rescue from our sins. It's only through his sacrifice, that death on the cross and that resurrection that happened three days later. It's only through believing in him and what he did for you that you can be rescued from the condemnation that your sin brings. Your sin condemns you. There's no way around that. But here's the thing. My analogy of the bus Jesus didn't step in front of the bus because he just happened to be standing on the corner and saw you in danger. Jesus knew the bus was coming. And he stood on that corner waiting, knowing that he needed to be at that moment in that exact time so that he could jump in front of the bus to rescue you. It wasn't an accident that he died on the cross for you. It wasn't that he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. He literally put himself in the place to die for you because he loves you so much. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in him, you've never uh, placed your belief and you're committed your life to him, guys, I want to tell you, that's what Jesus did for you. And that's how much Jesus loves you. He intentionally, he planned to go to the cross so that he could save you from your sins. So that he could rescue you from the eternal condemnation that your sins bring you. And when you believe in him and commit your life to him, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment. When you do that, you're rescued from that eternal condemnation and instead you're given eternal life. In Jesus. It is a free gift. All that Jesus asks is that you follow him. That you live the life that he calls you to live. And if you want to know more about that, again, my name's Chad. I'm going to be right out here in the foyer after service. I would love to talk to you about that. Reach out. Grab a connect card. I'll call you this week. I'll take you to coffee or lunch. But please, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus and you want to know more I want you to reach out. Don't walk away today without getting answers to the questions that you have about following him. So please let us know if we can guide you and answer any questions about what a journey with Jesus looks like.
He continues on to say, he said, by the mercies of God, please do this. And what does he say he's asking you to do? He says, present or basically offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the word bodies here means your entire being. It doesn't mean just the physical body that you're walking around with. He's not saying, listen, as long as you give your body, don't worry about your mind or your lifestyle or anything else. You can do whatever you want. He's not saying that. He's saying, give your entire, offer your entire existence to Jesus as a living sacrifice. This is a voluntary thing that we have to do. It's not something that just happens. Offering your life to Jesus, you know, you you can believe in Him, but following Him and living for Him as a living sacrifice, that only happens when we intentionally work to do it. Because there is every force in this world that wants to keep you from being a living sacrifice for Jesus. There are forces that want to tempt you away from that. By providing something else that might provide that, 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 that pleasure, that satisfaction, that purpose. But a sacrifice is something that dies, right? When you think of a sacrifice, maybe in the Bible or in Greek mythology or, or, or ancient times, a sacrifice was something that you took to the altar and you killed to show your devotion to a god. Your entire existence is you saying, I'm going to lay this in front of my Lord and my Savior, and I'm going to let Him do with it whatever He wants to do with it. I don't control it anymore. My opinions don't matter compared to His. My dreams are now submitted to His dreams for me. My My life, my possessions, my relationships, everything that I have, everything that I am, I'm going to lay at Jesus' feet. I'm going to tell him that I willingly and voluntarily give it to him. And I want him to do with it whatever he wants to do. Luke 9 Verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this. He said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For who would ever save his life will have to lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake, he's going to save it. The basic idea is that if we want to be rescued from our sins. One of the results of following Jesus, of believing in Jesus, is that we're going to do what he calls us to do. We're going to live the way he wants us to live. It's removing selfishness is what it boils down to. Rather than being focused on what we want, we become focused on what he wants. And we live our lives for him. That leads me to today's big idea. I like to give a big idea that you can go home and you can study and, and, and weigh against God's word and think about how it applies to your life. And today's big idea is simply this. Life is worship and worship is life. Life is worship. If you're a follower of Jesus or not, 
you worship something. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say probably as an American, you worship yourself. Whether it be you worship yourself because you, your life is about uh, building a big bank account and having all the nice house and the nice cars, whatever that may be. Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's relationships, but, but most people who do not believe in Jesus worship themselves to some extent, and their life revolves around that worship, that pleasing themselves, that, that, that gaining the desires that they desire. So if life is worship and worship is life, then what is the focus of your worship? That's the big question that I want you to think about today is, where is my worship focused? And you may be sitting here and saying, well, I'm sitting here, aren't I? Doesn't that show that I'm a worshiper of God? No, it doesn't. I've used the illustration in the past. If I stand in my garage all the time and I make vroom vroom noises and I rub motor oil on me and I drink gas. First off, it's a really bad idea, right? But sitting in my garage and acting like a car does not make me a car. You sitting in this building on Sunday mornings does not make you any more a Christian than me sitting in my garage makes me a car. What you do when you walk out this building determines The fruit that you produce in your life demonstrates whether you're a follower of Christ. Because that shows what you're actually worshiping. It demonstrates, it shows where your focus is at. You see, he continues in verse 1 to say, Present your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Present your entire being, your entire life as a sacrifice to the one who saved you. Now, you may be saying, well, you're talking about worship, but we just sang a bunch of songs. Isn't that worship? That is one teensy, tiny, little bitty, teeny, weeny part of what worship is. The music we play and sing is a reflection of what our life should look like in the world around us. If you look back at every song we sang and every word that was on this screen before I came on stage, every single song we have sung this morning was all about God. It was not about you. It was about Him. It was about how good he is, how merciful, how loving, how forgiving, how mighty and powerful. Every song we sang was about him. The singing is a reflection, should be a reflection of our life that we live outside these doors. And if you're singing these songs and your life is not an expression of what you're seeing, then what you're doing singing in this room is not worship. It's just you doing karaoke. It's you coming and standing somewhere and singing along and feeling good about yourself. 
But if your life does not reflect what you're singing, the singing is useless spiritually. It means nothing. Nothing. You see, the singing that we do on Sunday morning can be a bold-faced lie to our God if you're not walking out the doors and living those words in your life. We're called to be different. So if you sing about the salvation of Jesus, but you don't tell anybody about Jesus Monday through Saturday, why do you sing that song? If you sing about the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, but you don't show mercy and grace and forgiveness to others, then why would you sing that song? If you sing about following Jesus and your love for him and what he's done for you, but you don't do what he tells you to do, you don't live the life that he calls you to live, then why do you sing the song? The song should be a simple echoing of the way we live day in and day out outside of this place. That's what true worship is. It's giving up on our, on our comforts and laying them at the feet of Jesus. It's taking all of our resources, our finances, our relationships and laying them at the feet of Jesus. It's taking our time. And saying, my time no longer belongs to me. God, I give it to you. Tell me how to spend my time. And that's going to be different for everyone in this room. Every single one of us. But how do we live a life of sacrificial worship? I've talked about that the songs we sing should be a reflection of the life we live. Giving our everything as a living sacrifice to God. But how do we do that? Let's go to the next verse, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. He has just said that offering our entire being as a living sacrifice is our spiritual act of worship. And look what he says immediately following. He says this, Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed. What does it mean to be conformed? You take the shape of something. Now, I've got some, I went, we went and got donuts this morning. I grabbed some OJ while I was there. Now, the OJ in this container. No matter what I do to this container, it takes the shape of the container, doesn't it? You may not be able to see it. There's a label on here. So let me pour it into a glass. Because the shape of these two vessels are pretty different. But when I pour, it takes the shape of whatever it's molded to, right? Guys, we are a lot like these containers, or, or the containers are a lot like the world. Let me say that. Back up. Reverse. The world is a lot like these containers. And the world and the forces of this world want to shape us into whatever the world looks like. It wants us to be poured into the world and look just like the world. 
But that's not the call of Christ, is it? You know, it's very natural to live in conformity. If you don't mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, intentionally live in a way to defy conformity, you will always be conformed to what you're around. You will always conform to whatever it is that you're in. Well, right now we're in the world. So without some purpose to your life, without intentionally living in a way that you are a living sacrifice, you will take the shape of the world. But then he continues by saying, but be transformed. Not conformed, be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. Now, renewal is a constant process, biblically. You're not suddenly renewed and then you don't have to do any more. Renewing is something that God continually does in our minds and our hearts. It's called, it, there's a big biblical world, word called sanctification. We are constantly in the process of being transformed more and more like Jesus. It's the process that we all submit to as the followers of Jesus. But transformation is difficult. It's not easy. And it doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen without intentionality. It has to be purposefully done. It has to be purposely pursued. Growing up, I was a massive Transformers fan. I grew up you know, in elementary. I was mid-80s was when I was in elementary. Transformers cartoon is out. The toys, they were amazing. You could take a, tr- a semi-truck and do some movements with it and turn it into a robot. <laughs> wow! Thank you. <laughs> Everything in the 80s was about looking like something and by transforming, shaping, moving it, it would become something else. But you had to work to get that transformer transformed from a semi-truck to a robot. It didn't just happen. I couldn't put Optimus on the floor and go, transform, and he would do it. I know there's a transformer out there that does that today. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about back in the old days. (laughs) The old days. (laughs) Some of you are like, wow, that was not the old days for me. But transformation with that toy took effort. Transformation with that toy took work. You know, with with Optimus Prime, there were like eight things that you had to do to get him transformed. But I had a big one when I was a kid. My mom blessed me with this really big transformer when I was a kid. It was a big jet. And to transform him, it was like 40 different things that you had to do. And it took time. Like you're sitting and playing with your transformers. You had to think about when you were going to transform him because you had to stop the whole playing storyline just to take some time to transform this guy. The point is, is that transformation takes purpose and effort. And too many of us, especially as Americans, too many of us are so comfortable that we don't want to deal with having to transform. 
Transforming means change, and we don't want to change. We like where we're at. We're comfortable where we're at. And so we resist the renewing that the Holy Spirit is trying to do inside of us. And that goes back to being not willing to be a living sacrifice at the feet of Jesus. We have to allow ourselves to be transformed. Because look at the last line of this, of verse 2. Why do we want to do this? Why would we want to take the effort to be transformed? Because by testing, we can discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. If we want to know what God wants from us, if we want to know where God is taking us, if we want to know truth, we need that transformational renewal all the time. But all too many times, we say, well, I already know what the will of God is, so I don't need to worry about that. (laughs) No, you don't. I've been a Christian since before I was born. And do you know how old I am? That's a long time to be a Christian. I know what God wants from me. No, you don't. Because God's will may change in your life from time to time through things that are going on. As culture changes, God may do something, call you to something different than what he did 30 years ago. Or 20 years ago. Or 10 years ago. Or yesterday. We are called to be continuously renewed. But that will only happen if you are willing to sit at the feet of Jesus, laying your entire life in front of him, saying, transform me. I can't do it myself. The renewal that I know I need, that is going to be uncomfortable, I can't do that through my own power or knowledge, I need you to transform me. Only you can renew me. And so are you living as a living sacrifice? Are you living a life that reflects the words that we've been singing this morning and we're about to sing? Guys, let's be honest for a minute. Every single one of us sitting in this room could be greater, could be transformed more in our life. Every single one of us could be more like Jesus because we're sinful, imperfect people and there's only one perfect Savior. What is it in your life that God has been knocking at the door of your heart saying, if you'll let me in, I'll transform, I'll renew this, but you got to be willing to lay everything at my feet as a living sacrifice? What is it that you're not giving to him because you don't want it to be transformed because it's too hard, it's too uncomfortable? What have you not given to him? Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can be here. Lord, we thank you that you transform. You transform our minds, our hearts, our lives. 
Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you provide a way to be renewed. But Lord, help us because we recognize that laying our life at your feet is a difficult thing to do. Sacrificing, living as a living sacrifice is not easy. And we need you. We need your strength. We need your guidance in order to do it. So Lord, we pray that you would help us in our weakness, in our desire not to do the process of transformation, whatever it may be that's holding us back. Lord, change that within us and help us to be the followers of Christ that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus, for giving his life so that we could be rescued from our sins. Help us to live for him today, tomorrow, this week, this month, for the rest of our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.